We uh, have been, during the season of Lent, 40 days leading up to Easter, in a sermon series called In the Wilderness, and we have been learning that all God's people go through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God goes with us, God provides for us, and God promises new life. Now, out of the wilderness of Lent, we come to the abundance of Easter. And I want to share with you a passage from John's Gospel, John chapter 19, beginning at verse 40. You can follow along. John writes, taking Jesus' body, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for this ancient testimony. We pray that you would breathe into it by your Holy Spirit and make it come alive in our hearing and in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. There he goes again, my mother muttered. 
Sure enough, I looked out the kitchen window to the front yard, and there was my dad on his ladder with the pruning shears chopping away. When I was a kid growing up, Saturday mornings were for gardening for my German dad. My dad was an aggressive gardener. He was from the old school. When he pruned the acacia trees and potato vines, he held nothing back. He chopped and he hacked right down to the nub. When he finished, our garden could look barren and brutalized, but not forever, not for long, because a strange thing happened. The more dad cut things back, the more they sprang to life. Before long, those denuded vines and barren branches were bursting with life. Dad's scorched earth gardening brought life. My first job as a kid was to work in the garden for old Mrs. Fry, a woman in our neighborhood. She taught me how to prune rose bushes and rake, but most importantly, she showed me the wonders of composting. Take the clippings, the leaves, put them in a compost bin, give them time, stir them up, and they yielded life. Good, dark, rich soil from which life sprang. Old Mrs. Fry taught me, out of death comes life. I'd love to say that since then I've become an avid gardener that I have a green thumb, but it wouldn't be true. I'm what you might call a shame gardener. That means that I garden because I don't want our yard to embarrass me or my family in front of our neighbors and our friends. So gardening for me is not a fun hobby like for some of you. But my limited gardening has taught me some life lessons. I've learned that in the garden, hacking, chopping, pruning, weeding, digging, mulching, as brutal as these things seem, they bring life. God has built this lesson right into creation. Under God's hands, barrenness is temporary, but life is eternal. That's the story of Lent as it leads us to Easter. Barrenness is temporary, but life is eternal. The Bible is a story of life, of how the God of life caused all creation to flourish. To depict this, the Bible begins its story in a garden, Gan Eden, according to the Hebrews, the Garden of Eden, which the Persians later would call paradise, and the name is stuck. In the Garden of Eden, there was life, abundant life, life with God, life with each other, life with all creation. And there was shalom, warmth of relationship, harmony, peace. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, and it was good. There was life. But God's life was founded on a freedom for us to freely choose God or to choose ourselves as Lord. And many of you know this story. We chose ourselves as Lord, and sin entered the world, and along with it, death. Adam and Eve were thrust out of the garden east of Eden, and much of the rest of the Bible's story takes place in a wilderness, literal and figurative. Abraham, filled with God's promises of future fruitfulness, must walk the desert first. Moses and the Israelites escaped the slavery in Egypt, only to wander Sinai's wilderness for 40 years. 
Even when Israel is established in the land, they choose self over God, and God must bring in the Babylonians to whisk them away to Mesopotamia for exile for 70 years. Wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. But God, God is a God of life, and God pursues people into the wilderness, and God sends them a prophet like Isaiah, who assures the exiles life will return. Listen to what Isaiah promised them. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. After 70 years, the Judean captives left Babylon and were brought back into Jerusalem. But you know something? The wilderness was still with them. For the life that they experienced was not the garden in its fullness that Isaiah had promised. Even though they were back in Jerusalem, they were still in a wilderness, waiting, watching, longing. The garden is a unifying theme in the Bible. It's a powerful image of life. In the Bible, the garden means nature at its best, romantic love at its best, human well-being at its best, spirituality at its best. Friends, this is why when John, the gospel writer, tells the story of Easter, he puts it in the garden. The garden, alone of the four gospel writers, John puts the resurrection Jesus of Jesus carefully in the garden. In fact, John's whole gospel is a retelling of the whole Bible story. John goes back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis. As he begins the gospel, he uses the very same words. In the beginning. In the beginning was the word, this term for the Son of God who became a man, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then John goes on to say, in him was life. John is echoing Genesis to tell us that God is making a new Garden of Eden in Jesus. And John goes on to tell us more about gardens. uh, Jesus is betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is buried in a garden tomb. And Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene mistaken for a gardener. How perfect is that? Like Adam and Eve in Genesis, Jesus is a fresh new human being. He's one who works in a garden with God to bring life. A lot of you who like gardening know that gardening is a divine and human partnership. We work the soil, we plant the seeds, we water, but God, God brings the growth. Jesus is this perfect gardener, this perfect blend of divine and human working to bring life. And if that weren't enough, John looks forward in the last chapter of the Bible Revelation chapter 22, to the fulfilled garden in Jesus. There, the river of life runs through the tree of life, bringing healing to the nations. Life, life, life. 
all of it in a garden, all of it in Jesus Christ. This is the Bible story. This is John's gospel story. This is the Easter story. In our Lenten sermon series, we thought a lot about the crocus. Do you remember that? In Isaiah 35, which Ash read for us earlier, we heard God promise the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. The crocus is the first flower in the Middle East that pushes its way up from winter's ground. The crocus is the sign of spring to come. Friends, Jesus is the crocus, the first fruits of the new life that God wants to give us. Now, sometimes, admittedly, it's hard for us to see this. Wilderness seems complete. It's in us, it's around us, and especially right now. But as with the crocus, Easter reminds us that Jesus brings life. Jesus brings life. Barrenness is temporary. Life is everlasting. Well, you look around yourself these days, and Boulder County is barren. It's brown. It's beige. We long for greenery. We long for spring colors. Well, Boulder County may be barren, but I'm here to tell you that Contra Costa County in Northern California, it's lush. It's green. It's like Ireland. Let me show you a picture. This is Briones Park in Martinez, California, a quarter mile from where my sister-in-law and her family live. And Rupali and I walk the hills of this park, and you can see it's green and beautiful. There are wildflowers in bloom, and the oak trees are leafing out. There is springtime in Contra Costa County. And then later that week, they took me to a birthday dinner in Napa Valley, and we walked before dinner uh, out into the garden of this farm-to-table restaurant. Here's the picture. And there were these fields of mustard seeds, mustard flowers. As far as you could see, yellow and lushness. And it was a reminder that spring has sprung, and there is life. There is life, and it's coming to Boulder County. And you can see it if you've got an eye for it. Winter will not last. Spring is on its way, and we need to hold on. We need to have hope. At Easter, we remember that a garden springs up in the wilderness. Fruitfulness overcomes barrenness. God's life defeats death in Jesus Christ. I know a lot of Christians are upset at the paganization of Easter, with all its crass consumerism and commerciality, they feel that Easter's utterly lost on our secular world. But I'm not so sure. I think our secular society still understands just a little bit of Easter. Why do folks wear colorful clothing at Easter? Life. Because colors represent springtime. Why do we have Easter eggs? Life. Eggs bring life. Why is there an Easter bunny? Life, because rabbits reproduce. <laughs> Why celebrate with chocolates and candy and delicious meals and rich desserts with those we love at Easter? Why? Life, life, life. Easter brings life. That's the lesson of the garden. That's the lesson of Jesus. 
Jesus said famously earlier in John's gospel, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Friends, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Believe the good news. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we long to experience more of your life. And even as spring shows us signs of life to come, Lord, may we know this refreshment as well, where we desperately need your life. Bring it. Bring it to my friends here in this room and those online. Bring us your life, and we thank you for it. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.